Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hey, this is Austin Murr. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Let's speak it into existence. Let's speak it into existence. Sometimes when there is an outcome you want, put the energy out into the world. I'll tell you someone who's speaking it into existence, A.J. Hinch. He is putting some bold claims into the atmosphere. In case you missed it, this is what the Tigers manager had to say about this offseason and adding potential players to this roster. Tigers organization does a does a really good job. We're going to reestablish ourselves as a winning franchise and a and develop in a winning culture. And if you want to be a part of it, then you'll come. If you don't, then we'll be in. And I love the way he just said it so matter of factly, because that says he believes it. He's not trying to sell you anything. Objectively looking at the situation, looking at the talent, looking at what's already in the big leagues, what's on its way there how it can be supplemented with additional help so we can all speak it into existence. The boxes are getting checked here. People are noticing what is happening not only at the minor league level. Tigers have been a top 10 minor league system for the last couple of years now. People have noticed that. Now there's success in the big leagues. People are noticing objectively. Anthony Castroneves, a writer for MLB.com, came out with an article this week entitled Tigers Closer to Contention Than You Think. And we've talked about this. Last week, we had David Chad on this very show. And we asked him, when all the dust settles with this rebuild, this retool, whatever you want to call it, what will we say about the 2021 season? What role did 2021 serve? I think it's the first bullet point from Anthony Castroneves' piece. Number one, they're learning how to win. Remember 2006? The first couple of weeks of that season, Jim Leland was in charge, and he had a team that hadn't yet learned how to win. It is not easy. It is a culture shift. It is a psychology shift. 
And when you've gone through what the Tigers have gone through at the major league level for the past five seasons, there are some hard habits to break. We couldn't do this show two years ago, the show where we talk about how this team is close because they weren't as close. They still had work to do. They were not a finished product, and we all knew that. You knew that. You were listening to us because you wanted to give us the chance to explain to you how they were going to get there. For those of you that subscribed two years ago, hats off to you. You've been with us from the very beginning. You've understood the challenges of this rebuild. If you want to hear that conversation with David Chad about the Tigers' major and minor leagues coming together. We talked about how the young pieces will fit at the major league level. I'm telling you this. Those won't be the only pieces. Imagine for a moment a world where the Detroit Tigers come into the 2022 season with four, maybe five, star-caliber players, plus a pitching staff they've been cultivating for years led by some of the brightest minds in the game. This is within the range of outcomes. Like Anthony Castroneves said, the Tigers are closer than you think. This is the Road to Detroit podcast, presented by Carhartt. Our producer is Nate Wangler. I'm Dan Hasty. Coming up on the show here today, Austin Murr. It might be a name that you're not familiar with yet, and that's totally okay because Austin Murr has been in the Tigers system for about two months. Isn't there a character named Murr in that TV show Impractical Jokers? That's a great show, by the way. Look, even despite all of those pipe dreams for what we hope 2022 could be, and again, I don't think they're that far-fetched. And if you're saying, Dan, tell me why Austin Murr is somebody we need to keep an eye on. How about the fact that he's already in high A? He was the fastest 2021 draft pick to make it to the advanced A level. And on top of that, his numbers have been ridiculous. He's 22 years old. He's played 26 professional games. And again, this is between three levels. Complex league, low A, high A. He's moving at light speed and he's batting 315 with a 460 on base percentage. He's walking more than he's striking out. That's a very big deal. Austin Murr, who played at NC State, was a gold glove winner at the college level playing as a first baseman. Now, the Tigers drafted him. They announced him as an outfielder, but we have seen him play in both spots. We were talking about A.J. Hinch. We know he likes versatility. He's going to obviously have Austin Murr, a good, smart, left-handed hitting infielder, outfielder, and an on-base machine. The native of St. Paul, Minnesota, connected for his first professional home run on Saturday. Here's the 1-1 pitch from Meyer on the way. Swing and a high fly ball hit deep to right. Back goes the right fielder, Madden, looking up, and it's over and gone. Austin Murr has his first West Michigan Whitecap home run. A no-doubter to right field, and the Caps strike first here in the state capitol. It's 2 to nothing. So Brian Pena and Austin Murr, a little West Michigan madness this week on the road to Detroit. Let's go to the news. Well, we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about him two years ago. Matt Manning just had his best start in the big leagues. On Friday, Matt Manning, six innings of one run ball, six hits, one walk, five strikeouts. 
He ends up getting a no decision in this particular game, but he had his best game as a professional doing it against a Toronto Blue Jays lineup that is considered one of the best in all of baseball. Speaking of the best in baseball, congratulations to the team from Taylor who won the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We've got a very special honor for them coming up here on the road to Detroit. Speaking of special honors, Daniel Cabrera gets a bump. He's going to double A. And when you have the kind of night that Cabrera had in Lansing last week, you can see why he's on his way up. So it was a 2-0 count. Now the count runs even. Two balls, two strikes to Cabrera. He's had a great night. Anything he does from here on elevates this great performance into an outstanding one. Here comes the 2-2. Fly ball. Deep left center field. Back goes the left fielder, Butler. He looks up, and it's over and gone! Grand slam home run, Daniel Cabrera! 9-5, the Whitecaps take the lead in the ninth. Daniel Tiger is loose in Lansing. Yeah, there's only one like him. I guess that makes him an endangered species. He hit 242 this year. Nine homers, a team high, 64 runs batted in. The Tigers' second, second round pick back in 2020 out of LSU. Meanwhile, the Tigers' farm system received not one, not two, but three players to receive player of the week. Pitcher Carlos Pena, a 22-year-old lefty pitching in Lakeland, had the best start of his professional career. Seven innings of scoreless ball, gave up four hits, didn't walk anybody, and struck out five. In the month of August, he's gone 26 innings, and he's only allowed four earned runs. He's got an ERA of 137. The left-handed pitcher finishing his year strong. Two and three with a 2.56 ERA in 45 innings. He struck out 47. At high A, Gage Workman was the high A central player of the week. Gage Workman, who easily could have won player of the week last week in the high A central, he ends up winning it this week. He wins 7 for 20. That makes him 15 for his last 40 at the plate. And Gage Workman, he's been hitting the ball a lot harder because he's been in better count, and he's cutting down drastically on his strikeouts. That was a problem for him at the very beginning, but he's adjusting. That's what happens at these levels. I remember asking him in the locker room, I said, hey, what are you seeing differently right now? Your strikeouts have just really, really come down. And he said, well, the ball, honestly. (laughs) Gage Workman is a master of one-liners. He's also the high A central player of the week. At double A, Josh Lester becomes the double A Northeast player of the week. He hit three home runs, knocked in six, Well, it was either going to be him or Drew Ward for that award. Finished the week 9 for 23. Had four home runs, or as Nate Wangler calls them, (laughs) ding-dongs. Did you like that? (laughs) That's the news in the Tiger system. Quick look at the on-ramp starts now. To the Complex League on the east and west side, Manuel Sequeira continues to hit the ball hard and surprise. He struggled to start the year, but he has really turned things up a notch in August. He finished the week with a double and a home run, drove in six. On the west side, Carlos Pellegrin, international free agent, signed out of Cuba back in January. He hit safely in three out of his last four games, a double and a homer, and drove in three. He's a 21-year-old center fielder. 
And it's been a tough adjustment to professional baseball. He's only hitting 164. But again, you're talking about international free agents. You're talking about people who are newly signed back on the backfields in the complex lead. You just got to give him time to work it out. He's actually drawn 24 walks in 40 games. So that's enough of a reason to keep an eye out. As for Loe Lakeland, the Flying Tigers won four out of seven at home against Dunedin. Ben Mulgary, remember the name. We talked about him last week. The product of Northeastern finished the series on a three-game hit streak, a double, a homer, five runs batted in for what's been a phenomenal leadoff man through the Tigers minor league systems on the complex leagues and in low-A Lakeland. He's hitting 327 with a 407 on base. And Nick Davila, who was signed as a free agent out of South Florida in 2020, he picked up his fifth win on the year in a 3-1 win over the Jays. That's the Dunedin Blue Jays. He gave up just one run in five and a third inning, struck out seven. Off to high A West Michigan. The Caps get another split. This time they split a six-game series against the Lansing Lugnuts. You know those two teams have met almost 400 times in their franchise history, and right now the record all-time, 199 wins and 199 losses. We've played for like 25 years and decided absolutely nothing. Daniel Cabrera, we talked about him getting promoted to Erie. Six-game hit streak is how he goes out with West Michigan, a double and a grand slam against the Lugnuts. Austin Murr. Life got boss. <laughs> he was a boss. He's riding a seven-game hit streak. A double, a homer, and two runs batted in over that stretch. And Gage Workman. He had a seven-game hit streak finished up on Sunday, but he finished the set against Lansing with a double, a triple, six runs batted in, and hit a pair of homers. To AA Erie, we talked about the great week for Josh Lester and Drew Ward, but Kerry Carpenter helped the Seawolves take four out of six against Bowie. Two doubles, two homers for Kerry Carpenter, drove in five. Reese Olsen had a good game on the mound in AA, who started the season in the Brewers system, came over in the Daniel Norris trade, then made two starts at West Michigan, went 11 innings, gave up no runs, went to Erie, and in his last start on the 27th, five innings, gave up just one, three strikeouts, only one walk. The month of August has been ridiculous for Reese Olsen. 20 innings, two runs, 18 strikeouts. To Triple A Toledo, the Muddens rattled off seven straight wins over St. Paul. Spencer Torkelson had a double and two home runs while driving in four, including a game-tying homer on Saturday. And a fly ball, right center, fairly deep. Back goes Celestino, looking up, and it is gone! Holy Toledo, the Muddens have tied the game on Spencer Torkelson's second. Triple-A home run. It's an 8-8 ball game. They actually ran out of time. They had to keep the game going on Sunday. They had to pick up where they left off, and Toledo got a victory thanks to a Ryan Kreidler RBI single to help Toledo walk it off over St. Paul by a score of 10-9. Meanwhile, Riley Green hit safely in 4 out of 6, a homer and 6 runs batted in, and Cody Clements had a double and a grand slam back on Sunday. That was in the series win against St. Paul. They won seven games in a row. It's good to see things on the up and up. That's a look at the on-ramp. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. Well, we didn't know who Austin Murr was about two months ago, but the Detroit Tigers front office most certainly did. They made him their sixth-round pick in the 2021 MLB draft, their first position player from the college ranks that the Tigers selected. He was a first baseman at NC State. 
He then is now moving into the outfield. He's also playing a little bit of first still, but he's also getting some turns in the outfield, and he joins us here on the road to Detroit. This is what happens when you hit like 350 in your first two months <laughs> in pro ball. Austin, first of all, congratulations, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This has been quite a couple of months for you. I mean, are, is your head spinning at this point? Yeah, it's it's been a crazy few months for sure, just to say the least, from um, the whole College World Series trip and postseason run um, all the way through that and um, then being drafted by the Tigers and um, down in Lakeland for a little bit before being fortunate to come up here and play play in West Michigan. It's certainly been a roller coaster of the last few months and a journey, a journey I'll certainly never forget and, and one that I'm certainly enjoying right now. So, Can you take us through the highs and lows of those emotions? Because you played on an NC State team that is well-known in baseball circles. You guys had an unbelievable run in the College World Series. You, of course, couldn't play your final game against Vanderbilt. And I know how, how tough that had to have been. You're the first person that we've talked to that was a part of that team. So if you can kind of shed some light on that, because obviously COVID-19 was a part of that as well. If you could shed some light on that and then how that evolved into, I also got drafted by the Tigers. You've had a lot of interesting ups and downs the last couple of months. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's certainly um, playing college baseball and uh, choosing NC State was a great opportunity uh, for me, at least choosing that spot was to play in the ACC and compete for a national championship. So to be able to have the postseason run, I did uh, we did on kind of my first full season, being uh, being down there as a as a JUCO guy. We certainly had a rough start. We uh, started four and nine, and uh, one and eight in the league, and um, so certainly had some some uh, rocky a rocky start to say the least. But um, we, we started playing well later in the season, and, and we're, it's important to play your best ball at the right time, and we were certainly doing that um, uh, towards the end of the season, made a run in the ACC tournament, um, fell short in the championship game, but uh, kind of took off in the postseason. We went down to Louisiana Tech, um, played Louisiana Tech and Alabama, both two really good programs and teams, um, and won that regional before heading, heading to Arkansas for the Super Regional, which that was a matchup we were certainly all looking forward to if we got through Louisiana Tech, um, just with them being the number one team in the country. And we we, we felt like it was going to be a great matchup and one, one we certainly were ready to take head on. And I, I, I like to say we lost our first game 21-2 to Arkansas in the best of three series. And I kind of compare that to the first third of our season having a rough start and and for kind of forgetting about that and 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 looking forward to the to the next two games and went into one gritty one run ball games and things that we kind of did towards the second third and third third of the year and it was it was a crazy crazy weekend crazy crazy season and but to um, do it with the teammates we had we had a lot of experienced guys um, pretty pretty old and mature group and so we were able to. We, we'd, we'd all been in situations like that before. And so to be able to get past Arkansas and make it to Omaha, which is everybody's dream, was was certainly incredible. And, and to play there and go 2-0 in your first two games and kind of 
and kind of set the tone that, hey, we weren't just a fluke down there and, and we're, we're ready to play in the national championship game. That's obviously when things kind of started going haywire and um, we were limited to half our team for the first uh, game against Vanderbilt and lost a tight one against obviously a really good team and pitcher and Kumar Rocker. But then after, after that game, that's kind of when things really went bad and um, our season ended up being canceled. And it was certainly a whirlwind of emotions to have to be told your season's canceled in the, in a, in a conference room and, and not, and not on the field or not playing for it. So that was certainly, certainly hurt and definitely obviously took, took some time to get over and, and still just the, the, what if, what if we could have still played or um, still had a chance to, to, def, uh, to play for a national championship. But, but the, at the end of the day, um, it was, it was an unbelievable round. And obviously I wouldn't trade any of the memories I made with any of my teammates. How close are you with those guys at NC State? I would assume that going through something like this would bond you guys like little else possibly could. Yeah, it was certainly even coming into the year too. With um, we had a lot of fourth year. I was a fourth year guy. We had a lot of fourth year guys coming back, but just we knew kind of coming together that it was it was going to be a close group to begin with, and I think that really played to our advantage, especially when we had those, that rough start at the beginning, there was no pointing fingers. There was nothing, nothing like that. We still, we stayed strong as a group and it was one of the, one of the cooler teams I've been on just because everybody was trying to achieve the same goal. And it was all, it was all about we and, and nobody, nobody was for themselves and stuff. And so obviously it hurt and it, it, it was the worst part about having it canceled and everybody not everybody was together because people had to quarantine and isolate. And so we weren't able to share the end of our season with half of our teammates. And then we all were on different flights home due to contact tracing and stuff. And then more of us test positive and guys are already going home. And so we never actually had that one last time all together when we knew it, when we knew that was going to be it because 10 of them had had their last game and didn't even know it. And on that, on that previous Monday against Vanderbilt. And so I think we're going to try and all get together as a group this fall, um, back down at uh, NC state, um, for a football game or something. I think they're going to do a little ceremony or something. So we're, we're, I think we just got the date in November. I got it yesterday. So we're, we're all certainly all got that circle on our calendar and certainly excited to see everybody again. So. I can't even imagine what that scene is going to look like in Raleigh. (laughs) So tell me this. I mean, you had some great moments through the course of the season, but if you're putting together the Austin Murr mental highlight reel from the College World Series, what is the first thing you would see? <laughs> There's a lot of them. First, I think towards the top of that list is uh, my fellow roommate, Sam Highfill getting the start at first base in that last game and uh, being a pitcher and going three for four. Um in the game, that was certainly crazy, and he's, he's a legend. <laughs> That's something we we talk about all the time. But um, certainly that, or just even, I mean, just the whole thing. Like, there's not one. I can't think of one specific thing that was that stood out more than the other. Obviously, each game we won was one game closer to being able to compete for a national championship. But but to win to win our two games 
different ways, one scoring 11 runs and one winning one to nothing uh, on another spectacular pitching performance by Sam Highfill, <laughs> who went almost eight innings of shutout ball. But there there isn't one specific moment. I think each each time was unique, even getting getting to Omaha, whether it was Louisiana Tech playing in front of 3,000 people who were on you and suffocating you every single pitch and some of the most rowdy fans I've ever played in front of or then heading to Arkansas and playing in front of 12,000 people and you're surrounded by Razorback fans who are doing pig suey chants and things like that. It's both different experiences and stuff and it's it was a month obviously I'll never forget. So you talked about playing in front of big crowds. Recently I was talking with Colt Keith one of your teammates yeah. in West Michigan. And he had said that when he was down in Lakeland and you know he was down there slightly longer than you were, but not by much, he mentioned a fireworks night where there were like maybe 1,500 people at the ballpark. And he said, I was nervous because I was I never played in front of that big a crowd before. And I told I said, just wait till you see what West Michigan looks like. <laughs> but for you, you've actually seen an even bigger crowd and played in front of even more people. What advice would you give to a younger player who has maybe not gone through something like that? Yeah, that's that's certainly that's certainly for me, just being being an older guy and, and playing college baseball for four years, I, I can kind of anticipate it or prepare for it a little bit more rather than if I was like a, a younger guy just kind of being thrown into professional or college baseball and stuff where you you don't know what to do. It's 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 crazy. But at the end of the day, I just tell myself it's the same game, whether I'm playing college baseball, professional baseball, whatever I'm doing, obviously, there's the more people there might be a little bit more nerves, but at the end of the day, you're still, you're still playing the same game and it's the same distance to home plate and the bases are still 90 feet apart. And so obviously that it's, it's easier said than, than, than doing, but um, that's, that's kind of what I, what I can always fall back on. I want to hear about draft day for you because I know that that was probably right smack dab in the middle of that emotional time for you guys. I know they were, I think they had just finished up the college world series and then you find out that you're getting drafted. So how did you get the call? How did you find out and who were you with? Yeah, I flew up to Minnesota um, just for that week, just to spend it with my family. I was actually down in Raleigh quarantining. I, I contracted COVID a few days after our season got canceled. So I was stuck in Raleigh for a few extra weeks before I was able to head up right before the draft and was able to spend it with my, my family and my friends um, at, at my house and stuff. And it was kind of crazy because it's something you've never experienced and you, you don't know what to expect. And you've got a great support system helping you throughout the, throughout the way and stuff. And I was unsure. I was kind of, I didn't have really any idea of specific teams or whatever, but I, it, it all kind of happened really quick. Um, right after the fifth round, they have like a little 10 minute lunch break after rounds after the fifth round and for, uh, before they do the next five. And, and in that little 10 minutes, I had heard from a few and I knew the tigers were the third pick and I heard, heard from them. And in five minutes later, I'm a Detroit tiger and it's, it's a pretty, it was a pretty awesome feeling. So. What other teams did you hear from? What other teams were, were close on you? Oh man, I don't I don't even remember. I think San Diego was one. Um, 
that's all I can really think of off, off the top of my head. But there, there are a few who are kind of all at all at that same time. But the the Tigers kind of had the, had the soonest pick, and, and that's and that's how it worked out. It's funny how it does work out. There's no guarantee that you're in high A if you go to another system. So the fact that it was the Tigers that picked you. I mean, that, that's probably part of the reason that you're here. They obviously have loved what you've done thus far. Complex league to low A to high A. Not a lot of guys move this quickly. And I, I'm trying to figure out how this has happened so fast. So <laughs> I figure this is why we needed you on the show. So what would you say is the reason behind this? Yeah, I try to tell myself it's the same game no matter where I'm playing or who I'm playing with or against. But no, I I I think just like I said earlier, being a fourth year guy, I was I've been played two years full seasons at junior college and a season and a half at NC State and a couple summers in summer ball. I think I I think I exceeded over a thousand at bats in, in my in my four years at college. So I think that having that experience and kind of playing hundreds and hundreds of games so far, I think that kind of helps me or prepares me or makes me feel a little bit more comfortable in kind of whatever situation I've been thrown into. I've been playing on junior college fields, old, old junior college fields, or I've been playing in the nice ACC stadiums this year. So I've, I've had kind of a little bit of, little bit of everything and kind of prepared or feel ready for whatever situation I get thrown into or um, wherever I'm headed. How does the caliber of competition you're facing now compared with the caliber you were facing during the College World Series? Um, it's certainly actually pretty pretty similar. Obviously, um, you'll see Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker, Kevin Copps, Brendan Beck. The the conference play we faced four conference players players of the year in a row. <laughs> so that was that was obviously the 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 tip of the iceberg and pretty pretty unreal on competition but um other other than that i mean it, it's it's pretty similar there's there's guys uh, we're facing every night who are throwing hard and it's 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 a battle every night that's probably the biggest thing is just you're play, playing every day instead obviously you're not playing uh four four times a week it's it's every game so you had a tough night guess what you get to bounce back tomorrow and and try it again and now you're in West Michigan. The move to the outfield is interesting. You were a gold glove winning first baseman at NC State. And then the Tigers say, we're going to try in the outfield. <laughs> and I figured at some point, you know, and, and maybe we got to go really far back to find the last time that you weren't playing first base. So when was the last time you had played the outfield? My second year of junior college, I was, I was kind of lined up to play uh, outfield every day and about eight games in, I believe. Our other first baseman broke his foot, so uh, I I got moved back to first base and, and and stayed there for the rest of the year. But I mean, a handful of fall games or summer ball games here or there, none more than probably four or five in a seat in a in a fall or summer season. But never not never consistently as an as an everyday guy um, have I have I played the outfield. So it's been nice to be out there, kind of almost every day and spending all my attention out there. And it obviously you're growing a little bit more comfortable. Like that's, that's a situation I really haven't been thrown into. So that's something I'm still kind of learning and stuff, but um, 
but so far it, ha it hasn't been too bad. I haven't done anything to, to look dumb yet, but, uh, but, but no. So do you like playing the outfield so far? Are you learning pretty quick? Yeah. I mean, I, I tell myself I'm just shagging baseballs and BP. If, if, if I'm ever thinking too much, if it, if it ever, if I'm ever overthinking or overanalyzing or whatever, I'm just, I'm just trying to run down baseballs. It's, it's kind of how I, how I see it. If I'm, if I'm overthinking it, I haven't overthought anything yet out there, but I mean, so far it's kind of been natural to just kind of go out there and kind of just be an athlete. We're talking with Austin Murr. Okay. We got to talk about the batting stance because I feel like we do not have enough unique batting stances in this game. I have talked to you about this specifically and your batting stance is probably my favorite that I've seen in my years in West Michigan. It is very simple, but it's uniquely simple. When you hold your hands back, you basically have the bat almost straight up and down behind you. I have not seen this stance in a long time here. Does anybody ever talk to you about who else this resembles? Do you have an idea of what this might look like? And what does this do for you? I, I certainly, for my teammates back at college, we joke around a lot, but they certainly have their fun of trying to imitate my swing in the locker room. So that that was always fun to see see kind of how they would try to imitate imitate me or or my swing or whatever. But it, it's not always looked exactly like that. But it's the overall concept for me, at least. I it's kind of always been the same. I just try to be as calm and as still as possible. Not not a lot of rhythm, not a lot of movement. Just kind of being calm and just putting my hands in a position to be as short to the baseball as possible. Um, last year's when I kind of, my bat kind of went, started going just straight upright um, without getting too technical <laughs> here. Uh, the only thing I really, uh, the only reason why I did that was to kind of emphasize a scap load. And after I did that, that was the most comfortable position. It's not very comfortable, but the most comfortable position to do that and to where my power kind of increased significantly after I did that. And that was kind of the easiest spot to do it to where I'm still calm with my hands and, and also uh, short to the ball. Maximizing efficiency. And you certainly tapped into some of that power last week for West Michigan. You hit your first home run at the high A level, first professional home run. So congratulations to you, Thank you. on your first pro home run. That was a no doubter, by the way. How did that feel? It, it was good. I, I I'd struggled kind of hitting home runs towards the end of this college season. I looked up, I looked, went back and looked. It was my first home run in 47 games. So it was certainly kind of was a long time coming. I was I was unsure if I if I'd get one uh, get one get one this year if I was if I was done uh, pretty early in the season. But but I, I got one. Uh, it felt it felt it felt pretty good. I don't want to rub salt in an open wound here, but I feel like I'm compelled to ask you if you saw what happened in the Little League World Series on Sunday with the team from Michigan. Did you catch any wind of that? I heard they won. I I really didn't. I think they were playing at the same time we were, but I didn't. I don't know anything other than they, than they won, which is pretty cool. And I was talking with my host mom earlier. They were and dad, and they were talking about how they were playing Ohio and they can't get rid of the Michigan Ohio rivalry, which was kind of funny. I didn't even think about it either, but. Oh yeah. You'll learn all about that and you have plenty <laughs> of time to do it. Thankfully it, it actually just kind of brings us up too. I mean, you've been playing probably since you were in little league. I mean, 
going back to very young Austin Murr, what is the first memory you have of why you started to love baseball? Uh, certainly growing up, watch, watching games um, at the Metrodome and watching them on TV, uh, obviously being in the Twin Cities and stuff, um, having the Twins uh, nearby and obviously Joe Maurer being the, the local kid too, it was pretty pretty cool to watch him play and obviously the the move to target field and even um independent ball games uh st paul saints games now they're the twins triple a affiliate now but uh that was that was a little bit closer to my house and to watch to watch them any any kind of baseball was was awesome and when i when i wasn't playing and uh my summers three months it was it was playing baseball and if i wasn't doing that i was playing hockey for the other for the other few months and, and just just trying to stay busy it wasn't all it wasn't all baseball it was it was some hockey too and ended up being a little bit of football too in college or in high school i it was it was a lot of baseball a lot of twins a lot of wild uh i'm a packers fan too i don't know if i should say that in michigan but um <laughs> not 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 kind of not just baseball it kind of just fell in love with sports yeah, you played everything. I mean, if you weren't playing baseball and you could pick any of the other two sports, which one would you be playing? Well, probably hockey, but I picked baseball because I wasn't as good as hockey. As, I wasn't that good at hockey. So I was uh, certainly a little bit better at baseball, which is kind of why I stuck with it. So Spencer Torkelson's pretty big into hockey, too. Once you see him down in Lakeland, you'll have to run that by him. I know he's got a big hockey background, too. Really? So now you've had a chance to go through kind of this 30-game this snippet for the Whitecaps for Lakeland, and you've got a chance to see a couple of different managers. So, I mean, right now for you, I mean, I just love your ability to make contact. I think you barrel up balls. I think you really have a good eye at the plate, and it's fun watching somebody as new as you who you can have as much confidence in to just put the ball in play sometimes. Just put it in play. <laughs> and you know what? When you do that, good things tend to happen, and your numbers are a clear reflection of that. So congratulations on a great start. We're so excited for you, and we're rooting for you. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Road to Detroit podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's now time for best in class of all the players in the Tigers minor league system. This one made the most noise. Three. Chance Rutherford to go ahead run. This ball driven to center. It's playable. Farkas is there and it ends in his glove. And the Taylor North Little Leaguers are World Series champions. That's the team from Taylor North, the champion of the 2021 Little League World Series. Best in class goes to the entire team. They become the first Michigan Little League team to win the Little League World Series since Hamtramck in 1959. Fun fact about the Little League World Series, players in the Tigers minor league system and throughout minor league baseball love watching the Little League World Series. Some of the guys even played in it. Colt Keith, who joined us on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned that he played in the Little League World Series once upon a time. Taylor North, your Little League World Series champion. I know, I know, they're not technically part of the Tigers minor league system. Look, 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 this is a big deal. And they are this week's best in class. And now for our Dylan Rosa Award winner. A lot of names, a lot of good weeks throughout the system. 
But there's only one man who gets to make the final call on who receives this Rosa. Nate Wangler, our producer. It's not Spencer Torkelson, but it's one of his former college teammates, Engage Workman. And we'll get into the numbers a little bit, but even when Gage was struggling, his outs were very loud. And we always had an understanding that when Gage made contact, the ball went a long way, and we're starting to see that offense come around for Workman. Again, this past week in Lansing, three doubles. He also had a triple as well as a pair of home runs before being named the high A central player of the week. And we're starting to see that bat again turn a corner. There's just a little bit of extra pop in that bat of Gage Workman. And it seems like, again, he's cutting down on his strikeout numbers. He's hitting the ball with more frequency. I'm excited to see what happens. Gage Workman is this week's winner of the Dylan Rosa Award. So, again, you get to bring the Dylan Rosa Award winner to somebody nearby in West Michigan. (laughs) How's that conversation going to go this week? Hey, Gage, congrats on winning that high A Central Player of the Week. Uh, But did you see what happened in Williamsport? Oh, those kids, man. Those guys are the best. Sorry I didn't win best in class, but here. Here's this Dylan Rosa Award. Here here you go. See ya. Here's this Rosa Award, young man. You've worked your whole life. Congrats to Gage Workman, our Dylan Rosa Award winner. It's now time for the road ahead. Lakeland hosts Clearwater for a six-game set. While West Michigan, they're coming back for their last homestand of the season. But it's a big one, a 12-gamer. They welcome in the Peoria Chiefs. That's the high-A team of the St. Louis Cardinals before they host the L.A. Dodgers high-A affiliate in the Great Lakes Loons. Meanwhile, Erie, they host Harrisburg for six, while Toledo heads to Omaha to take on the Storm Chasers. They've got a few more games left than the rest of the affiliates in the system, so we'll have a little bit more to keep track of down the home stretch this year as it pertains to to Toledo. There's a look at the road ahead. Well, as you heard last week here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt, this is a show that has found its place in the top 100 baseball podcasts in America. We're also a hit in Australia, from what I understand. (laughs) We're top 50 in Australia, by the way. Let's go. How great is it that the Tigers allow us to get a chance to learn not only about the big-name prospects, and we have learned a lot about the Spencer Torkelsons and the Riley Greens of the world, but these last two shows... We've learned about Bo Brisky. We've understood his story, the Tigers' number 28 prospect. And this week, we got to go off the board of the top 30 prospects. And I'll tell you this, if Austin Murr keeps hitting the way he has been, he will show up on those prospect lists by the start of next season. It is not a question of if, it is a question of when. But that's why we're here, to give you tomorrow's newspaper today. Make sure you subscribe to the Road to Detroit podcast. We've got a couple very special episodes coming up to finish out Season 2, and you're not going to want to miss it. My thanks to our guest, Austin Murr. We're back for another episode next week. For our producer, Nate Wangler, my name is Dan Hasty. This has been the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. And until next time, see ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.